Over the past several weeks, we've been talking about what it means, of course, to be fully mature followers of Jesus. And I've taken that title and stolen it right from the text, the New International Version translation of the Bible, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Paul says, that's my job, really, is to present all followers of Jesus to God as fully mature. Not a little bit mature, not partially, not, well, we got this one started, but he's not quite yet ready to go. No, Paul says fully mature is the goal. The Christian life is very interconnected with spiritual maturity. And some of the sternest warnings in the entire Bible come from passages about what happens when we fail to address spiritual immaturity. Not only that, but the Bible demonstrates that maturity has many, many different components. And all of them need to be on our radar if we're going to be fully mature. And so that's why several weeks ago, we spent some time talking about the importance of developing mature minds. So that the things that we think and the things that we say about God are truthful and they're accurate. And then we spent some time addressing mature habits, the kinds of things that ensure that our day-to-day actions and lifestyle don't just reflect the nature of God. They don't just reflect our obedience to God, but they also help us develop the kind of spiritual rhythms that are so important in fostering spiritual maturity. And then over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the importance of the maturity of our hearts and how essential it is to cultivate a love for the things that Jesus loved and to express that way in a way that reflects the very nature of Jesus. In essence, we want hearts that look like Jesus's heart. Now today, and this is the last sermon I'm going to preach in this series, the last one on this topic, but it's last because I feel like there's one final category of spiritual maturity that I want to highlight. But before I do that, let me tell you a story. About a week and a half ago, my phone rang uh, and it was, it was my mom. I saw that it was her. It was at a time I'm not accustomed to hearing for her, so I, from her. So I answered the phone, hello. And I could tell immediately that something was wrong. And what was wrong is that mom had gone to the bank in order to take care of some paperwork that the bank needed. And in the process of doing that, she discovered that her driver's license was expired. And not just a little expired, she had been driving on an expired driver's license for more than a year. And for those of you that are worried about mom right now, I did get permission to tell this story. I did get permission to tell this story. Um, What this means is that many of you that may have shared a ride with her in the past year or so are now guilty of aiding and abetting a known criminal. Um... Mom said, what do I do? I said, well, we get you a new license. Now, getting a new license in this day and age is a lot simpler than it used to be, or renewing your license. A lot of times you can even just do it online. But if you've been living on the lamb, one step ahead of John Q. Law for more than a year, they do actually need you to come into the facility and go through the entire process. How many of you are blessed when you find out you have to go to the driver's license facility? Is that like the greatest day in your life? Is that, I didn't think so. And what's worse for mom is that because she didn't have a valid driver's license, she couldn't very well drive to the facility to take the test and have them say, how did you get here? 
And so I had a day off that week, and so I took mom to the driver's facility. We made the appointment online, and we got all of the documents that she would need and prepared to do all of the things that she would need to do. Parenthetically, we were blessed when we got there. They said, ma'am, you... We're going to waive all this stuff. You're okay. Please just fill this out and have a new license. It was like the best trip to the DMV ever, but that's neither here nor there. I guess mom is one of God's favorites. I don't know how that works with that. But um, she is once again uh, a legal abiding citizen here, and, and she's safe and all of that kind of stuff. Here's why I wanted to tell you this story. First of all, it's always fun to poke a little fun at mom from the pulpit. Actually, that's the only reason. Let's open your Bible. No. <laughs> I brought that story up because I think going to the DMV, as we, we call it a lot of times, it's, it's a common experience, and, and almost all of us in the room can relate to it. Here's the lesson we learned. It doesn't really matter how mature your knowledge of the road is, right? It doesn't really matter how well-practiced your driving habits are. Mom's been driving a long time. It doesn't matter how passionate your heart is about the rules of the road. None of those kinds of maturity really, really matter if you have not gone through the formal legal process to renew your driver's license. You're just not allowed to drive. It's as simple as that. And I believe there's an element of spiritual maturity that we don't talk about often enough, but it's, it's a little bit like that. It works kind of the same way. In order to be fully mature, there are certain experiences that God wants each one of us to have. There are events and there are episodes that should be more or less common to every follower of Jesus. And while some of them might feel mundane, like standing in line at the DMV. Some of them might feel unnecessary. Some of them might feel boring or even inconvenient, as these things often are. They are absolutely essential if we are going to claim full maturity. Today, I want to talk to you about the importance of making sure events like what I'm describing are part of what we're going to call our mature stories. And in order to do that, I want us to look back at the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, to a very, very ancient story. We're going to take just a quick glance at an interaction that took place between God and Abraham. And buckle your seatbelts, because we're going to be very wacky today. Are, are we okay with that? There's, I guarantee you no one else is going to hear a sermon um, quite like the one you're hearing today. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about God and Abraham. Abraham is one of the Bible's most ancient characters. He lived thousands of years before Jesus. And so at the time uh, Abraham was alive, Christianity was not a thing. Judaism was not even a thing. Abraham is often considered the father of our faith because so many of God's first interactions with humankind took place within Abraham's family. And the Bible says that God made a covenant with Abraham. Now, a covenant is a word that we don't use as much in the modern world, but the ancients were very, very familiar with covenant relationships. A covenant is a framework that defines how a relationship between two parties is going to work. And in the ancient world, as I said, covenants were common and they were usually formalized 
with some sort of symbolic ceremony. And so I'm going to read to you today what God had to say about his covenant with Abraham and his family. The passage, you'll see it on the screens, comes from Genesis chapter 17. And I'm going to begin in verse 9. Then God said to Abraham, This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. If you've ever wondered about circumcision's association with Judaism, this is where that comes from. It was a signifier of a covenant relationship between God and the members of a particular ethnic lineage, the descendants of Abraham. Can we be honest? Does not the idea of minor surgery as a religious symbol sound a little bit barbaric to us? <laughs> From a modern context, does this not sound weird? That's okay. That's how it's supposed to sound to us. But I assure you of this, to the ancients it would have made perfect sense. Because covenants in the ancient world were very often sealed by the shedding of blood. Perhaps the most cliche example of this is the Hollywood version of two Native Americans becoming blood brothers. It's a covenant that's sealed by the shedding of blood. As a matter of fact, when the ancients spoke about covenants, they didn't say that covenants were sealed. They didn't say that a covenant was struck or a covenant was signed or finalized. They said in the ancient languages that covenants were cut. They were cut because quite literally, they very often were cut. And so the covenant that we just read about between God and his people, one that we often refer to as the old covenant, that covenant was cut with the blood of men. It's not in our purview for what I'm going to talk about today, but likewise, the New Testament is going to introduce us to what we call the new covenant between God and his people, which was also cut, but this time with the blood of Jesus. But for thousands of years, it was this old covenant. It was the rite of circumcision, which stood as a part of the story of millions of godly men who would pursue spiritual maturity. I believe that when it comes to spiritual maturity, our stories, our histories, if you want to say, our stories matter because God intended our individual stories to have some unifying moments. He intended that our stories would be individualized and they would be unique, but that they would have a handful of unifying moments. God said to Abraham, this is my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Your lineage, your heritage, your legacy is going to include this, this moment that all will say, yes, I remember when. Yes, this is part of my story. It was intended that this would be a common shared experience throughout generations. Now, throughout time, God has made it clear that there are certain experiences that he wants his people to have. And sometimes, like the one we're describing now, they look like ceremonies or rites of passage. Sometimes they look like lifestyle choices or cultural choices. I'm not referring to issues of ethics or morality. This isn't about obeying God when he says, thou shalt do this or thou shalt not do this. 
No, I'm referring to the things that God has given to us that mark us as uniquely his own. Under the old covenant, it was things like circumcision and dietary guidelines. Under the new covenant, it's things like water baptism and communion that we'll share together later this morning. These experiences aren't man-made and they aren't specific to any particular worldly culture. They have been given to us by God and they transcend the cultures of this world. Christians from all times and all places have incorporated these experiences into their stories just as God intended. These things are truly unifying moments in the mature stories of the people of God. And so perhaps we ask, is God trying to make us all the same? Is this here that God desires to to fill his kingdom with cookie cutter Christians who must assimilate or be destroyed? Of course not. Kingdom of God is a celebration of diversity. The Bible's many descriptions of heaven include clear reference to men and women, old and young, members of every ethnicity, speaking every earthly language. People have found salvation in Jesus from a variety of different backgrounds. We don't all look like one another. We don't all act like one another. We don't even all worship like one another. When discussing that diversity, the Apostle Paul famously proclaimed, yeah, that's true, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. I want you to think again about the driver's license. When you leave church today, you're going to share the road with vehicles being driven by all kinds of different drivers. There will be brand new drivers on the road. There will be experienced drivers on the road. There will be drivers with pristine records. And there's going to be some who have a few check marks, maybe a couple of tickets in their history. There's going to be nervous drivers. There will be, unfortunately, distracted drivers. There will be aggressive drivers. There will be defensive drivers. There are going to be all kinds of different drivers on the road today, but every one of those drivers will have something very important in common. Each one of them will be able to tell the story of the time they went to the driver's services facility to get their license. Put a bunch of us licensed drivers in a room together and we'll swap stories about how we waited in line on our 16th birthday or how we uh, freaked out because we didn't have the right forms of ID, how we couldn't remember how many inches from a curb are you supposed to put the wheels if you're facing uphill when you park parallel, or we'll, we'll talk about that weird instructor who just sat next to us as we did the behind the wheel road test and never said a word and we thought we were failing the entire time. We will be able to swap those stories together. We've all been there. It's the unifying moment in the story of how we matured as drivers. At least I hope it's a unifying moment. I hope that all the vehicles we share the road with today are driven by licensed drivers and not by criminals like my mother. I suppose it's possible though. She slipped through the fingers of the law for over a year. How many more must be out there? There are a few vehicles out there being driven by people who for one reason or another just didn't go to the DMV when they were supposed to. 
And so let's look back to the word of God. <laughs> Judgment! No. <laughs> Many hundreds of years after Abraham, perhaps a thousand or more years, God spoke to one of Abraham's descendants, a man named Moses. You probably know at least some of Moses' story. Despite being an Israelite, he was raised by the Egyptian royal family. And he lived a life of privilege until, right? Until he ran into some trouble. And so he fled Egypt and he started a new life for himself in a region called Midian. And he lived there in Midian for 40 years until God spoke to him in a miraculous encounter with a burning bush. And God told Moses to go back to Egypt and to lead the rest of the enslaved Israelites to freedom. And so Moses obeyed. And the Bible says that Moses took his Midianite wife and their two sons, and he began his trip back to Egypt. There's a backstory here though, and it's one that we don't tell too often. Apparently, Moses had never bothered to have his sons circumcised. Remember the covenant with Abraham. When your sons are eight days old, this is what you're going to do. Moses never did it. They, the sons, were technically descendants of Abraham, but maybe Moses didn't see the sense in it because of where he was living or where they were born. Maybe it was inconvenient. Maybe it just felt awkward trying to explain it to his Midianite in-laws. Can you imagine having that conversation? You want to do what to my baby? Maybe Moses just plain forgot about it. Who knows? But in any case, he began his mission back to Egypt without having fulfilled the covenant that God had cut with his ancestor Abraham. What do you think? Is it going to matter? The answer comes in Exodus chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 20 and then skip down to verse 24. Verse 20 says, So Moses took his wife and his sons, he put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. I love the way the narrator of scripture includes that as if, oh, that's what we needed an explanation for. Thank you very much. Look, if I just read the passage that I read and you're sitting there going, what, what just happened? You're not alone. Every person, every scholar throughout history that has read that passage has said, what just happened? <laughs> this is one of the most mysterious passages in the entire Bible. There's a lot here that we don't fully understand. And it's not really my point today to try and unpack every detail here for you. But this much is clear. Moses was ready to take big risks and do great things for God. He was embarking on one of history's greatest exploits and all because of his commitment to God's instructions. Moses was not naive. He knew exactly where he was headed. He was clearly a man of great passion and great conviction. And yet he nearly lost out on everything before he even got started. Simply because his story didn't include the one experience that God had laid out for all his people. 
This strange, strange passing account in Exodus chapter 4 stands as a lesson that personal zeal doesn't eliminate the need for a mature story. Our personal zeal doesn't eliminate the need for a mature story. If you want to get a driver's license, it really doesn't matter how fancy your car is or how much money you spent on on it. It doesn't matter if you work for Ford or for Honda or for Tesla. It doesn't matter if you know how to change your own oil. It doesn't matter if you can design a more fuel efficient engine. It doesn't even matter if you are a previous winner of the Daytona 500. If you want a driver's license, you're gonna have to stand in line and take the test like everybody else because that's part of the story. I'm concerned that Christians too often overvalue personal zeal. Now, don't get me wrong. Personal zeal is important. I want us all to be passionate about our faith, but that's not a substitute for a mature story. There are certain experiences that God wants for his people, and they don't always make sense to us, but they're important nevertheless. None of us can claim spiritual maturity without having included these sorts of things in our story. Several years ago when I enrolled in seminary, I found out that the first required class I was going to have to take, let me rephrase that, the class that I was required to take first, do you understand, was a class called Seminary Success. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was a class aimed on writing, trying to prepare seminary students for the kinds of research and writing assignments that I was going to have over the course of the next four years. I did not want to take that class. I was already a pretty good writer and I knew how to research. I thought this is a waste of my time. And so I petitioned the seminary to waive the class for me. I gave them some writing samples. I said, I know where the library is. Please don't make me take this stupid, stupid class. My appeal was denied. And I ended up enrolled in seminary success. It ended up being so valuable to me. I learned things that I otherwise wouldn't have learned. It made the work I did in every other class I took for the next four years so much easier to do. And I'm glad today that that class is part of my story. But here's the point. Back then, I just couldn't see why it was important. I just couldn't see why it was important. And I think that maybe that's the biggest challenge about considering our own stories as one of the components of spiritual maturity. Over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about things that I think are easier for us to understand. Uh, It's easier for us to get why maturity matters when we talk about the maturity of our mind or the maturity of our habits or the maturity of our hearts. But for most of us, it's a bit harder to see how these seemingly random episodes in our own stories, how they correlate to real growth in our spirits. Every time we baptize someone in water and I meet with them to plan that out and explain to them what's gonna happen, I tell them the water in the baptism tank isn't magical. That's not what this is about. Well, it would be fair to ask the question then, so why does it matter? 
We're, we're going to have communion in a little while. If you've had communion with us, you know this. These crackers are not magical. <laughs> well, it'd be fair to ask the question, well, then why does it matter? Why does eating a little cracker and drinking a little grape juice once in a while, why, why, does, that, why does that matter? The carpet's here at the altars. This carpet is, you know, it's carpet. So why does it matter? Why do we talk about a tradition where we come forward to the altar to meet with God? In a few weeks, I didn't even mention this, but we're going to join with the Bustamante family in the dedication of their new baby. Baby dedications. You know, there's no assurance. You've still got to raise your child well. <laughs> so why does it matter? Why do we even bother? Why do we even do it? Things like this aren't logical. They don't make sense to us. So sometimes we tend to ignore them and, and we chalk it all up to some sort of irrelevant mystery. But here's the thing. Mature stories embrace the mystery behind these unifying moments. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. It's a willingness to not understand, to not get it, to feel like, is that even really necessary? But to say, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to embrace the mystery behind this. A mature heart is one that says, uh, I don't understand why God chooses to move through the rite of water baptism, but I know that he does. I don't understand why the bread and the juice have the ability to shape me so powerfully, but I know that they do. I don't understand why God chooses to move uniquely when his people are gathered together, but I know that he does. And these are just a few of the moments that God has said should be included in the mature stories of his people. Can we take one last look at Zipporah, Moses' wife? Zipporah was, she was a Midianite. Midianites didn't practice circumcision the way Israelites did because they weren't heirs of the same covenant. But here we have Zipporah rising to the occasion, saving her husband from God's judgment. Ask yourself this, is she doing it because she has a mature mind that completely understands all the ramifications and the theology behind circumcision? Clearly not. Is she doing it because this is just part of her habit? It's a mature habit. One of the rhythms of discipline in her daily life. I get up every Monday morning and I circumcise someone. No, obviously that's not the case. Is she doing it because her mature heart simply yearns for nothing more than to honor God's word? Let's not give her too much credit. It doesn't seem likely, all things considered. It seems that Zipporah doesn't really understand the mystery of this moment any more than we do. Did you hear her exasperation when she looked at Moses and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. This is another fine mess you've gotten us into, Moses. You can almost hear her eyes roll over her husband. No, she's doing what she's doing simply because Zipporah has just enough faith to believe that God works through the mysteries in our stories. Some might call it superstition. But if you've been there, you know it's nothing like superstition. It's not superstition, it's trust. 
It's trust. God has said that he wants to work through unifying moments in our stories. So we trust that he will do it. And we meet in those moments. Sometimes being fully mature means having a faith like Zipporah's. It's the kind of faith that that believes that God still works through particular mysterious moments in our stories, even if we can't perceive it at the time. I saved this sermon for last in the series for a few different reasons, but one of them is because I felt like If you've been listening to me yammer on over the past month and a half about spiritual maturity and you've been thinking, yeah, maybe there are some places where I need to start addressing my own spiritual maturity. Maybe there are some steps I can take. If you're in that camp, chances are you've been thinking, well, how would I do that? Where can I start? Trust me. I say that because I know exactly how that feels. Even as mature followers of Jesus, we get to points in our stories where we know we're stuck. And we know we need to move forward, but sometimes it's hard to find the handhold to say how. To say how. I hope I'm not the only one who's ever felt that way. And so I imagine that perhaps there's folks who have listened to a handful of these sermons that I've preached over the last weeks and thought, okay, Dan, sounds like good, good stuff, but how do I start? Because here's the thing, mature minds, right? Good theology, knowing and understanding the truth of God's and his nature and his words. That sounds great, but let's be honest, you can't do that overnight, We can't learn everything there is to learn. We can't know everything there is to know. We can't say everything there is to say just because, okay, I want to do that, right? That's the beginning of a journey and it's going to take time. Mature habits. Okay, I want to live differently. I want to have rhythms. I want to engage in the spiritual disciplines. I want to do those kinds of things. That's great. But again, uh, just because, you know, you prayed or you fasted or you did this one thing on Monday, It's going to take more than that. It's going to take time, isn't it? And so it's really more about a beginning. How do we do do that? Mature hearts. We talked about mature hearts. Well, I think all of us know that hearts take time to change. Uh, The Holy Spirit doesn't always blow our hearts up. There's a few moments where it feels like that, but more often it's in his gentleness, isn't it? It's in the soft whisper of the move of the Spirit in our lives, that our hearts are gradually, gradually shaped. And so with all of those things, there's this sense that it's it's just going to, it's going to take a while. And that's okay. That's okay. What do I do today? You can't start by checking any one of those other things off the list, but you can start becoming more fully mature today simply by following through with what God has put forth as the markers for his people. And that's why we're going to end with communion. Here's one of them. And so maybe you've looked, oh, I have more to say. I have more to say. 
don't start, don't start eating yet, because I got more to say. <laughs> but maybe you've looked at this communion, this disposable communion cup that we get for everybody, because we do it once or twice a month at least. Maybe you've looked at it before and you thought, I don't get it. I mean, it's not even that good, right? <laughs> I don't get it. There's a mystery here. Can I be honest with you? I don't get it either. But I know. There's a mystery here. Maybe you've done the opposite. Maybe you've looked at it and maybe you've, you have understood, whether through teaching or just through the gift that the Spirit has given you in your own heart. Maybe you've understood that there's a mystery here. And for that precise reason, you felt like, I'll take a pass because I'm not there yet. Could I suggest to you that part of the mystery is that you are there yet? And so maybe today is the day you don't take a pass. Thank you for understanding that there is a mystery. Thank you that for, for acknowledging the, the sacredness of this moment. But would you have just the faith that Zipporah had to say, you know what, I don't get it, but I'm going to do it. That's communion. Talked already about water baptism. We even involuntarily baptized Don this morning as the leak in the roof dripped right on him. Right? But we're going to have baptisms on purpose in a couple of weeks. And I know I've met so many Christians through the years that have thought, like, come on, does it really matter? I mean, come on. There's, there's nothing special about that water. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Stunk up. What's different? Can I tell you my experience? I hope this doesn't offend you. In that moment of dunk and up, what's different? Not much. You're wetter. But it's not about the water being magical. It's about an anchor point in your story. It's about, I was faithful to what God said, even though I didn't get it. Wouldn't you have guessed that as Jesus was giving his last marching orders to his followers, he would have said, go into all the world, teach everybody to obey everything I've told them, right? That's what he said. Wouldn't you guess that he would say, and make sure they have a deep passion burning in their hearts. Make sure that they are people of zeal. That they just love, love, love Jesus. That's essentially the gospel as we told it and we told it. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, go into all the world, teach them everything, and fill the tank. That's what Jesus said. He said, baptize them. The disciples said, really? Of all the stuff we've been doing for three years, that's what's most important? And Jesus said, yeah. Yeah, the mystery of that moment, that's what's most important. That's what I want to leave you with. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized in water, are you willing to embrace that mystery without fully understanding it, without, without even necessarily saying, oh, I, I get it now? But maybe you're not even that far. Maybe that's not where you are in your own story, and that's fine. I want to honor that today. Your story is an important story in this room. Maybe in your story, where you're at, 
is you've heard the pastor say all of these things before. I'll bet you've never heard him preach from Exodus 4. But the rest of it, you've heard him say before. You've heard him say all of these things, and you've heard him say, okay, now with every eye closed and every head bowed, you know where I'm going. I want you to put up your hand if you would like to follow Jesus today. I want to know to be able to pray for you. Put up your hand, repeat after me. We're going to say a prayer. God, forgive me for my sins, so on. And so you've heard that before, haven't you? And you thought, why do I need to put my hand up? Why do I need to put my hand up? Why do I need to tell anybody? Isn't it about what God is doing in my heart? Can't I continue to just kind of be in this place of investigation and wondering and exploration? Isn't that the beauty of my own story and my own journey? Without telling you no to those questions, while still honoring the beauty of your story and your journey, can I suggest to you that God has said, I want you to have the kind of trust to step into this moment without fully understanding it. I want you to be able to say that on July the 2nd, 2023, the Holy Spirit came flooding into my life. Jesus cleansed me and I was changed forever. And here's the thing, I didn't even know it then. But now I remember that day. And that was the day. That was the day. How many of us who have been saved would, would say that our story kind of looks like that a little bit? I didn't know at the time that was the day, but looking back, yeah, that was the day. Would you just put your hands up if, if that's a little bit how your story feels? It's a little bit how mine feels. I didn't know it then. But as I look back, yeah, that, that was the day. So let me give you opportunity to have that day. I'm going to do the altar call today, folks. <laughs> We're going to do the every eye closed and every head bowed. And I'm going to give you one more instruction before we do it. If you've heard the altar call before and you've raised your hand, and then the next time you heard it, you raised it again. And then you raised it again. Kids church, right? They do that in kids church. Everybody in kids church gets saved every week. Glory, hallelujah. Right? And that's okay. Man, we need to come back to altars. But can I tell you something? If your car breaks down, you don't have to go get a new driver's license. If you've raised your hand before, instead of raising your hand again today... Maybe God is saying, huh, just embrace the mystery. Just embrace the mystery. Maybe like the person who got baptized, you didn't feel different because you raised your hand. You felt wetter. I hope not wetter. But you know what I mean? It didn't feel like, but maybe God's saying, just embrace the mystery of this. Would you just trust that you are saved? <laughs> Would you trust that? And now let's start working on some of the mind issues some of the heart issues, some of the habit issues, but no need to apply for a new driver's license. You're a licensed driver. Were those instructions remotely clear? I don't know. Let's see. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you've come to a place in your story where you've investigated Jesus, you've talked to him a lot or a little, about what your mind thinks, 
what your habits do and what your heart loves. But you've never actually said, today I'm becoming a Christian. I want to invite you to make this day, July 2nd, 2023, that day. I am not inviting you to have full, comprehensive knowledge of what that entails. If that's what you're looking for, you're going to be sitting in neutral the rest of your life. Rather, I am inviting you to embrace the deepest mystery that your spirit will ever encounter. I am asking if you are ready to trust, like Zipporah trusted. How amazing that in this weird little story, it would be Zipporah and not Moses who would be the hero. Sometimes it's not about how great your faith is. Sometimes it's about how little your faith is. Would you have the little tiny piece of faith that it takes to say, Jesus, today I'm yours. If that's you, while everybody's head is bowed and every eye is still closed, I'd like you to just lift your own eyes and make eye contact with me. I'm going to pray for you. see those eyes. I'm going to give it another moment. I got you. Everyone in this room who has made that decision, whether they made it years ago or seconds ago, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I don't even know what I'm saying now. But I trust that you are for me. I trust that you are good. And in the spaces where it's hard to trust, I'm asking you to fill me. Take my life for it. It's my offering to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can lift your eyes now. Jesus gave us this moment as one of those unifying moments in all of our stories. I've had the privilege of sharing in communion a variety of places literally around the world with Christians in worship contexts very, very different from our own. I could tell some stories. I'll tell one. <laughs> we were having communion in, in Haiti a few years back. Ryan was there. We were in an outdoor service and I was leading and I was nearly tripped by a chicken. We were trying to share the bread. I've had communion with believers in countries in Central Asia. We're having communion behind locked doors. 
because people in the neighborhoods, certainly the government officials in the area, couldn't know. I can tell you that this moment looks very, very different. We could go down the, down the street a few blocks to another church and this moment would look different. That's okay. It's still a unifying moment. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, someday we're all gonna get together and we're gonna share this meal together. That's gonna be a great day, isn't it? But for now, it's just one of those mysterious moments. There's nothing superstitious that we need to have in our minds. But there's a trust and a belief in what Jesus has said. And what he said was, this is my body and it's been broken for you. Take it and receive it. Do so in remembrance. In the same way, Jesus says, when the meal's over, this is my blood spilled for you. What a mystery that must have been for those men. We've already spilled blood. The covenant's been cut. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. There's a new covenant. There's a new covenant. Take and receive and do it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for these moments in our stories. And we trust and we believe that in ways that we cannot see and perceive, you are using them to bring us on to full maturity. We are being shaped and we are being formed. We have much responsibility as it comes to the shaping of our minds and our hearts and our habits. You've given us initiative and agency in those areas. But Lord, as we follow through for these, with these stories, there's not a whole lot that we can do but simply trust that this is what you have said about your people. This is how your people would be marked. And so our prayer today, Lord, is simply that. Mark us. Mark us with your Holy Spirit. Mark us as your own. Mark us as saved. Set apart. Holy unto the Lord. Mark us that way. And by your spirit, help us to grow to be fully mature. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 May God bless you, my brothers and sisters. Have a wonderful afternoon.